0: Welcome to this week's episode of Flight Suit Friday. I'm Nathan Shakespeare, and with me is Sam Happensiner. Hey, everybody! How's it going? Excited to have you back here, Sam. Shakespeare, great to see your face, man. It's awesome. Um, today we'll be talking to some pilots from Hitron, kind of talking about Hooray. the uh, experience and and the fun of. Over- I don't know that they they didn't join the army, so
1: they don't it. say Hoover. Oh man,
0: I get I, I just know. get so excited about Hitron. I don't know what they say.
1: Yeah, well, we're pretty consistent about making our introductions pretty awkward, so. Moving on to some shout-outs.
0: All right. uh, Our first shout-out today is to Kevin Dove of Air State Miami. Uh, He was recently awarded the Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal for his work with the Plantation Fire Department. Uh, That should be some uh, great OER fodder. Uh, But, uh, yeah, really nice job down there, Kevin. Love to see those uh, Echo pilots succeeding.
1: Yeah, man. Way to step out of the cockpit and uh, volunteer. That's great. We also got uh, Chuck here. He is our AV specialist. Uh, the reason why this podcast sounds the way it does and we don't sound like complete idiots is uh, Chuck spends hours uh, slicing this all together and, and making it sound professional. So, hey, uh, Chuck, awesome job, and uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, of course, Ryan, he, he does an okay job as our producer.
0: Yeah, if you hear the CEO taking credit for it, it's, it's Chuck and Ryan <laughs> doing all the work behind the scenes. <laughs>
1: All right, folks, that uh, little jingle there is uh, for our news segment. And uh, I know we talked about the Delta-1 a uh, couple probably months ago now, the time you're listening to this. But an update from the pubs division uh, at this point. Hopefully, it's already been approved and uh, sent out to the government print office. But they've got uh, the performance charts that are updated for the Echo. They just placed those in the new Delta-1. Um, and as soon as they get that sent to the GPO, it's three months. So they said four to six months from uh, January. So hopefully, uh, we'll be seeing this uh, anywhere this uh, anytime this summer. So hopefully we find the funding for it too. All right, folks, today's episode, we're focusing on the Coast Guard's very own Helicopter Interdiction Squadron, doing that sweet, sweet airborne use of force and uh, sending our helos on ships all over the world downrange. Um, Got two great guests and uh, we're excited to start. Who do we got on the phone today?
2: Hi, everybody. Uh, So I'm Lieutenant Rachel Canucks. I'm one of the pilots down at uh, Hitchon, Um, the Coast Guard, as uh, Sam said, Helicopter uh, Interdiction Tactical Squadron um, down in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, this is going on year number two for me. Um, I'm currently what's called an MQ, so a mission qualified um, uh, pilot down at Hitchon, and I'm currently in my upgrade syllabus to be a mission commander. Uh, first flights were, uh, just the other day All uh, right. looking for my upgrade.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, that's, that's awesome. You sound excited. I know you personally, and you're always a, uh, a very happy, excited person. We're stoked to have you on. <laughs> uh, where were hey. you
0: before Hitchon, Rachel? Uh,
2: so before Hitchon, I was up at air station Detroit up in Michigan. I was there for about three and a half years. Uh, and, uh, Flight school was my first assignment for the Coast Guard after graduating from the Coast Guard Academy in 2013. Um, So instead of going to uh, a cutter or a sector like most people do, I was fortunate enough to go right to Naval Flight School down in Pensacola, Florida um, and get right into my aviation career. So, all I have known was aviation up until Hitron. And now you the know kind boats. Of the best of both. Worlds.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, can relate to that D9 SAR, the most fun. Yes.
2: <laughs>
1: and, uh, well, we got uh, Kelly McKenzie on the phone. Can you say hi, Kelly?
3: Sure. Hi, guys. Um, so, Lieutenant Commander Kelly McKenzie, uh, also stationed at Hitron, obviously, um, going into my fourth year there um, as AOPS this year. So, kind of started off as a morale officer and graduated all the way out to the AOS position. So it's been, it's been great. Um, yeah, I, I, I was at Savannah before that and flight school. I'm a OCS grad that, uh, went straight to the ceremonial honor guard and, oh, um, nice. just kind of a, a different background, but finally got to where I wanted to go and, uh, it's been fun.
0: Cool. That's awesome. You're four hitch on So were you, when you showed up, was it for your orders or, uh, had just switched, or did you try to extend?
3: Yeah, exactly. It just switched. I think I'm the second year of four-year orders.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And still having fun, it sounds like.
3: Oh, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> it goes by quick.
0: Yeah, where are you, where are you hoping to go? It sounds
1: like, so you'd be transferring this summer, right?
3: I am. Um, I just found out that I've been approved for the temporary separation program. So um, I'm going to relocate to the Pacific Northwest up to Washington and um, affiliate with the Reserve. For two years, and get a grad degree, hopefully, and um, and see where I am at to so either come back active duty or stay in the
0: reserve. Yeah, congrats, that's awesome. I am sitting next to Sam here; he's looking very jealous. Yeah, he's I'm, like
1: grinning uh, ear to ear. I am <laughs> smiling. I am thinking of something similar. I'd I'd love to talk to you offline about that. That's cool.
0: Definitely. Um, all right, well, let's let's dive
1: into it. So, first question up, uh, Rachel: What's your favorite restaurant, brewery? What what's good to do out there in Jacksonville? Oh
2: man. Fun fact about Jacksonville, it is, and I didn't know this until I was on Zillow trying to find a place to live down here, and I typed in Jacksonville, and thousands of results came up, um, but it's the largest city as far as a city uh, square footprint goes, um, so Jacksonville itself is actually a big landmass uh, that people don't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm over in the Riverside area, so Brew Five Points, not sponsored is my absolute favorite coffee joint. Um, There's another um, pilot down here that lives pretty close to there. So we like to go run in the morning before work. We'll go grab coffee from there at Brew Five Points and then we'll uh, head on into work for the day. That's our little tradition in the morning. I like that. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, El Jefe. It's uh, like Mexican Tex-Mex street food down here. And then my go-to uh, beer joint is called FishWear.
1: FishWear. That sounds yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. Are you, is Riverside like, uh, you know, close to downtown? Is that one of the hip places to live? Or where do people usually live uh, down there?
2: So uh is kind of like how Detroit was for me, where it's such a big area that depending on what your priorities are, everybody seems to be spread out. So, you know, most of the families, that um, have children that are about at the age for school or younger families tend to live down in kind of our Oakley, Fleming Island area. And then it seems like more of the uh, single or people without children kind of live in what's called like Riverside, San Marco, which are all along the St. John's River Mm -hmm. and not quite in downtown, but close to downtown. That just seems to be the trend. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm in Riverside, right on the St. John's River, pretty central, and local to everything. Work a half hour one way and the beach is a half hour the other way. So it's not a bad spot.
0: That's awesome. Is that the same river you guys fly down or I've seen like videos of Hitchron flying down?
2: Sure is. Um, it's, it's a pretty big body of water. Um, and that's where we actually do all of our training with our own small boat. We call it the TTV for when we're uh, downrange.
1: Sweet. Um, uh, Kelly, you have a family, right? You Are you living downtown or you in a different
4: area?
3: <laughs> I do, yeah. I, I've actually moved um, since being in Jacksonville. I live on the other side of the river from Rachel in a little neighborhood called San Marco. And it's, it's kind of similar. It's like a, a street of restaurants, shops, uh, breweries. So kind of close to downtown, um, kind of a hip place to be, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I have a three-month-old, so she's awesome. still like in the phase where you can just roll out to a brewery and hang out outside. So it's been fun. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, I put my plug in for Ardwolf as my favorite brewery. It's mm-hmm. walking distance from my little house here. And, uh, yeah, it, there's a lot of, a lot of neat spots in Jacksonville. Um, I was stationed in Savannah before this, so I, I kind of thought I knew the area pretty well, but, um, I've been surprised. There's a lot, there's a lot to do with the beaches and, uh, you know, we have actual sports teams here. Um, yeah, pretty great minor league hockey team. To go watch.
1: I guess you're all Jags fans now. I suppose.
3: Oh no, Patriots yeah, fans. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know if we can put that on the podcast, Patriots.
3: I uh, know. I knew it would come up somewhere.
4: Oh, We're just loyal. Oh yeah, <laughs> loyalty runs deep.
1: Well, I mean, if 2021 is a real good year, the Cleveland Browns will actually win the Super Bowl. But Group, we'll see if that
2: yeah, happens.
1: who knows? Uh, good, good stuff. Um, all right, well. Uh, one question for, for me is, uh, you know, like you talk to a lot of pilots and, and Hitron is typically not high on their list. Uh, did either of you want to go to Hitron?
2: <laughs> Rachel. Um, yeah,
1: don't say the so, wrong thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, this is a, I don't want to say difficult, but it's going to sound like I'm pandering and I promise I'm not. Um, but Hitron was the reason that I originally wanted 65 in the first place. Um, right. like, like I kind of alluded to earlier, um, you know, I, I saw it as the, the perfect combination marriage, um, between the aviation world and the underway world. We're still pilots. Uh, we get to go fly, uh, but we get to go work in those small teams underway with ever changing commands and to really get to grow, develop, and you're doing a mission that, literally nobody else in the coast guard does We're we're the only show in town that does airborne use of force in the 65 side, at least Mm -hmm. Um, for different personal reasons uh, that I was trying to check off in life. Uh, I actually was trying to go to Corpus, um, but fate has their way of working out. And I, I'm very grateful that I'm down at hitron. It's been great so far. The missions have been awesome. I've had successful deployments. Um, I've, I've learned way more in so many um, aspects and have increased my aviation acumen since being down here uh, that I'm I'm very grateful that I ended up getting orders down here uh, the past year.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like you're loving it, but I I see why you did the little disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah, somebody fed you (laughs) Kool-Aid
4: before. That's
3: awesome.
0: What about you, Kelly?
4: Yeah,
3: I think... um, Uh, I think I appreciate it a little differently than Rachel. I think maybe because I I did not know much about HITRON, um, much about the mission at all, much about, you know, like the lifestyle, what work-life balance looked like. Um, And I felt like during my tour in Savannah, I just loved search and rescue so much. I got to go to AHAR in my last year there, which is like, it's amazing that someone from the low country gets to go all the way out there and, and do that type of flying. So I was really, you know, bought into the, the SAR aspect of our job. Um, and I, I did not want to go to Hitron. I said, uh, I'll go to Atlantic city. I'll go wherever you need me. But, but that year, you know, there was a a huge need for Hitron, And I, you know, to be honest with you, completely honest, I was kind of doing a little kicking and screaming like, Oh, this is, this is crazy. I can't believe I have to go there. I said I'd go to Atlantic city type of thing. Uh And, um, and I think that's true for some people, but I think it's true because they don't know about Hitron. They don't know what we do. They don't know how great a place it is. So I, you know, I got to Hitron that first year with an open mind and a positive attitude. And, and I can honestly say like it, it's been a great tour. Um, I've really enjoyed my time there. And yeah. I'm not just saying that because, <laughs> you know, because we're on the podcast, but. You know, for someone that's hesitant about it, I, I would say, you know, reach out to people that have been stationed there um, and kind of get to learn more about it because, yeah, I, I guess I was a little close-minded before, um, mm-hmm. but but it's truly really been a good experience.
0: Yeah, I heard it It, it had switched from three- to four-year orders, partly because mm-hmm. a lot of people were really interested in, and extending was uh, on a lot of dream sheets departing there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, it's, that's awesome. Well, I mean... You guys are obviously out at
1: uh, on the boat for quite a bit of the year. What what's your work life uh, work day look like when you're back in Jax?
3: Yeah, I would say uh, that's probably one of the perks of Hitron. Um, you know, you are on a on a boat for part of the year, but when we're back at the unit, um, it's a lot like mobile. Like it's, it's a training unit, so Monday through Friday uh, is, are the only days we work. The CDO duty is it's pretty relaxed. It's a cell phone duty. So you take it home at night um, and don't have to spend the night like we did, you know, at other star units. So, you know, coming out of a star unit where, you know, your last month of duty, you stand eight duties and bag out on all of them. Like it, it is refreshing to go to a, a unit where you know that if you're not on deployment, um, you have a pretty good work
2: schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay. But part, part of the balance with that too is, you know, we're, we're gone and we're, we're away from our families. So when you're home, your home. And, um, command has been very good about letting us take our personal time and do the things that you need to do. And it it truly is when you're home, you're an adult, do what you need to, um, get, get your work done. But as long as your work's done and you're meeting your mins and everything, you know, we're, we're allowed a little bit more freedom. Um, but I would say the other half of that too, is when you're out on deployment, Work life is also pretty great. You're out there flying. You're um, if you're the uh, mission commander, uh, you're the department head for aviation, really. So you're busy, but it's uh, your your focus is while you're downrange, your focus is to fly and to execute the mission safely. The the trade-off is that the people that are back home, you know, we kind of share each other's collaterals to allow that opportunity for you to be totally caged and in your flight bubble while you're downrange, and not working about worrying about the work back home. Um, but, but like I said, uh, it's, it's a good trade off and I think everybody has kind of found a balance of how to do that down here.
0: Yeah. It sounds neat. It sounds like a, a little bit of like, they follow kind of the DOD like workup model too. So at least from what I've heard, uh, classmates there, they're saying that when you get underway and, uh, and do go downrange, you feel like ready to go. Is, is that true?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, our crews kind of, you spend a, at least a month before you leave um, just getting ready as a crew, flying together, you know, getting all the paperwork that needs to get done together. Um, you're in comms with the boat that you're deploying to uh, pretty regularly and getting them ready to kind of have you on board. So um, I would say that that's another bonus about being a Hitron for that month before. We really try to, you know, shed extra responsibility so that you can kind of focus on getting your crew ready to deploy. Um, and you know, before you get out on the cutter, we're, we're flying with them, um, doing a couple training events just to be prepared to execute the
2: cases that we do. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, in a nutshell, Rachel, what's your mission at Hitron? What do you guys do?
2: Uh, so overall, um, AUF, it stands for airborne use support and our bread and butter is counter drugs while we're downrange. Um, so we are working for, um, a, a bigger entity than the Coast Guard, and uh, we're working with different countries. We're working with the DoD, and um, the the entire premises is is drugs are bad, um, specifically drugs that are you know unregulated and traveling across international borders. Um, and we're trying to prevent, deter, and detain those that are breaking international law by smuggling those drugs.
1: That's awesome. Is it successful? What you guys do?
2: Yeah, um, it's. Uh, inc- I mean, pretty successful. Um, the the big hashtag for Hitron last year was 20 and 20 for uh, 20 billion dollars in um drug seized by 2020, and we surpassed that, and we were already at like over 20 into the 21 range. Wow. Um, so super um super successful unit. And, you know, that's, that's a different aspect that's kind of neat about it. Um, uh, Nate mentioned it, D9SAR, you spend countless hours flying cases, bagging out, flying on some things that you go, hmm, I, I don't really want to fly on this pool toy today, but here we go. <laughs> Six hours later, you're bagged out, and then you find out that, um, thankfully, uh, the person is safe, and their pool toy just floated away, but, you know, still... Um, still kind of hard sometimes to not have those tangible results when you hear other friends from different SAR units that have amazing life saving cases. Um, but when we're downrange, drugs are moving quite often, and uh, we're, we're pretty successful down there. And to, uh, to have a case uh, completed in front of you is uh, pretty immediately rewarding and satisfying to you know, have that very tangible result right there in front of you.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, uh, the, the amount of resources uh, that get thrown at search and rescue for your example, like the, uh, the pool toy case, uh, you know, it's a little sector kind of working together with the air station, maybe a small boat station to, to figure out what happened to this pool toy. But yeah, when you're downrange, you guys have a ton of support, um, trying to, trying to get the mission done. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it's not just us. It's, uh, it's the cutter that's working together. It's, it's the, um, the, the small boat that's working with you, um, maybe some other assets that are in the area supporting you. Um, and, and again, that's what's so neat about it is that it really focuses on that, um, small unit autonomy and it really allows you to, to truly be a leader because when we're on those cases, the, the mission commander, the, the one that's on the radio is really the one that is running the show. Um, and you know, passing information and and getting everything in the direction of where it needs to go. Um, and on, on the same side, um, the the pilot that is flying is working with with the gunner in the back. So it's it's a huge level of trust and communication that's going on between those two people. And we're all in the helicopter together, and we're all talking and communicating. But there there really is a a true split in jobs, and it's, it's a big trust factor in between the um, the MQ and the MC, depending on uh, what seat they're in, and making sure that they have each other's back and that trust is in there so that they can both do their jobs separately, but simultaneously to get the mission complete.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Sounds like a great CRM drill. Um,
2: yeah.
4: Something that
1: always comes to my mind. Uh, I'll throw this one to you, Kelly. What's the most important thing to pack for your deployment? Like, what should you not forget?
3: The most important thing to pack?
1: Yeah, like what? I mean, uh, you're out. Of the, you're out at seats for what? Two, oh. two months, three
4: well, months. Someone,
3: well, someone told me first for them it was sweatpants. Sweatpants. So sweatpants. Yes, are important, but I think um, comfortable bed sheets and uh, blankets yeah. uh-huh. because you are, you know, you're given some linens from the cutter, but I think the amount of well, yeah, we have to spend a lot of time in our beds, but not having comfortable bed sheets and blankets would be detrimental to spending. <laughs> 60 to
0: 90 days on a cutter. Yeah. And I, I hope not too many, um, uh, uh surfacemen
3: are listening <laughs> like, to this podcast. Yeah. You have garbage, <laughs> garbage
0: racks, garbage sheets.
1: Too many cuttermen.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Oh, man. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the 210s probably got the best, uh, best, you know, sheets and beds and everything, right? That old, old cutter. Oh, yeah.
3: Those <laughs> old Oh, man.
1: Yeah. I, h- how often, uh, do you go out? How long are you guys, uh, away from home?
3: So, uh, the average has been about 90 days, um, for each pilot every year. So, okay, you know, that fluctuates year to year. It, it, it does depend a lot on, um, how long the cutter is going out. So, you know, smaller cutters go out for a short amount of time. Obviously the larger cutters go out for longer. So, and we try to keep a pretty equitable balance in the schedule. So, you know, my first year I took two longer deployments, so, you know, my days were more around 115 days. So the next year, I had, you know, maybe 75. But but on average, it should be around 90. Um, we're able to kind of crew swap depending on the patrol and and where the cutter's going. Um, you know, that's changed in the COVID environment. So we don't really do the shorter deployments. We're we're sending people out for longer deployments on the cutter for the whole time. Um, yeah. But.
1: Do you have Do you have good heads up on like when you're going to go to Is it something you can plan? Yeah, we do. We,
3: we get family? the schedule, um, We usually get it for the whole year, so uh, people know their schedule for for probably the next nine months or so.
0: That's probably quite a bit different than the uh, the airborne intercept mission. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the same thing.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Definitely.
1: Well, I mean, uh, Rachel, what's your uh, go to thing? You got to pack for your deployments.
2: Um. So my my big thing is. I bring my AeroPress and I like to bring my favorite coffee brands. Um, so I was deployed over the uh, fall time mm-hmm. uh, for deployment number two for me this year. Um, so I was no shame, brought some pumpkin spice oh, coffee yeah. <laughs> um, and that actually became uh, mine and my crew's little tradition. So we'd go on to the mess deck and I would make pumpkin spice coffee for everybody. <laughs> and then, it turned out that we had the first night we did that, we had our big disabling fire bust. Uh, so oh, well, said, Nobody left. this time. is lucky. <laughs> oh yeah. Well,
1: it's good you mentioned <laughs> it because this, uh, <laughs> this episode is brought to us by Starbucks. They're our, our sponsor. Yeah, yeah.
2: so.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a good way to, you know, it's, it's a comfort of home, um, something to do for yourself when you're underway. Uh, but at, at the same time, something that, Most people on the cutters will drink coffee. Uh, and if you offer them coffee, that's not the same mess that coffee they've been drinking. Uh, (laughs) it doesn't really matter what it is. They'll, they'll sit down and, and have a conversation with you. And it's just another way to connect with the crew for a 30
0: cent scoop of coffee. Yeah. That's like, it's like a bartering tool or something. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh,
1: you guys do some pretty, pretty wild flying out there. Uh, Rachel, have you had any, um, good flights where, you know, you you got that adrenaline pumping and, um, you may have been in a situation where you, you probably weren't when you were up in Detroit. Um, yeah. So, uh,
2: so one of the, the other missions that, um, HATRON does is, it's not specifically a SAR unit, but, you know, we still do medevacs and we can still respond when um, they, they have a, a search for us. Um, we, we just can't hoist down at Hedron. Um, we, we don't re- maintain our hoisting proficiencies like the rest of the SAR units do. Um, but on this last deployment I was on, we ended up being diverted on our way home while I was underway to go respond to Hurricane Ada that hit uh, Honduras. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, complete 180-degree shift from airborne use of force, going back to the SAR routes, and all right, we're, we're looking at flooding, we're looking at hurricane response, we're looking at disaster response. Um, we're flying in an area that nobody, literally nobody else was there. All the rest of the DoD assets were on the western side of the country. We were the only asset that was on the eastern side. And you know, working for the the DoD and the joint task force that they had, they pretty much said, you guys are the experts in it. Go for it, do, do <laughs> nice. what you need to do. Um, so, you know, doing um, mountain flying and torque management and it's high, it's hot, it's humid. Um, landing in cows and trying to find, literally trying to find soccer fields and churches because those were the, the things that were um, flat and they were the things that were pretty clearly marked in the towns to go land and try try and find the people. We were trying to med- medevac and drop off supplies and um, formula and uh, first aid to everybody that was down there. That must have been uh, so, wild.
4: Yeah, working. Can- yeah,
2: it was. I mean, and it's it's something that you know who's who's prepared for that. I mean, sure, doing doing hurricane response, but in in uh, Central America when you don't speak the language, and thankfully we had an interpreter on board for our second day or our third day of flying. But you know, our our original task was reconnaissance, and it was hey. You're the only ones over there. We need you to go identify locations that could be forward operating bases for us. Tell us places where we can land too, and we're going. All right, <laughs> sure. We'll we'll use our expertise. We'll Maybe. we'll be able to hone that and try and figure it out for you guys. So I was uh I was talk, talking to Mark Wyckoff before we took off, going, Mark, I need all your advice, please.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, he still gives but, uh, me advice all the time here in Mobile. So. Oh yeah, oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's forgotten more about the '65 than I think I know yeah. at this point. <laughs> but yeah, one of the, one of those moments that to be landing in a village in Honduras and and medevacking people and trying to find the hospitals and you know land so we can get them over to the hospital when they're non ambulatory and figuring out all right, well we can't land there. Where can we land instead? And Again, talk about a huge trust factor between both, not only the pilots and the, um, our, uh, our mech that was working, but also, you know, the people that were transporting and our translator in the back. And of course, that was the day that our Yaw Channel decided that it didn't want to work anymore. <laughs> so between figuring out, oh, and, and there's no fuel over in Honduras on the eastern side of the country. So all of the fuel planning was back to the boat to go get fuel from the boat. So the fuel calculations had to be on point. We had to account for our limitations for landing and taking off from the ship. We ended up not having the Yaw Channel. So that kind of ruined the rest of our plans because you need it for shipboard. But talk about a a next level experience. Super rewarding. I'm so glad I did it. But. I got back from that flight and I said, I need my coffee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Kelly, did you have any, I mean, I'm sure not the I same. Uh, hurricane that was stuff,
2: incredible. I'm yeah. like,
3: man, yeah, I've been four years here and I haven't done anything like that. yet. You know, that's, I mean, I think that just goes to say, you know, goes to speak to how each deployment is so different, you know, like not only is the cutter different and your crew's different, like every time you go out there, there's something else thrown your way that, it might be in the airborne use of force realm, but it might not be, and it might be something you've never done before. Um, and I think that's the challenging piece that, you know, when you become an aircraft commander, you have a whole new level of responsibility. Um, you know, so much is expected of you in the judgment decision-making realm. But when you become a mission commander at HITRON, it's like, well, you're down in South America, Central America, offshore, and you're the only, you know, aviation expert you're the only expert on, on our type of flying. And then, you know, you have to dig back to your roots with SAR when these hurricanes pop up or, you know, a medevac happens. I think most of us have done a medevac from the ship, whether it's, um, you know, someone on the crew or or someone that we pick up running drugs, but, but nine times out of 10, you have to figure out how to fly into a foreign country Mm -hmm. on your own with, you know, a sat phone calling back home. So I think it, it just, it just speaks volumes of, you know, what, Type of responsibility we we place on the mission commanders that are um, that are out there. That's pretty cool, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kelly. Do
1: you have a favorite uh, drug bust case? Favorite drug bust case.
3: Oh,
1: you remember your first one? Um,
3: I don't. Yeah, I. I too think too I many to count. Too many to <laughs> count. There's there's so many to count. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, like I, my first deployment. We didn't really have any great drug busts. We had a maintenance issue that, you know, we were down hard for almost 30 days on a 52 day deployment. So, kind of, I was like, man, I thought this was all awesome. You know, you get to do all these cool drug busts. So, I was a little bit let down there. But my very next one, I think we had a great case on the 4th of July, which was super cool. You know, you're like, instead of. You know, being back home watching fireworks or actually like getting to shoot outside of the aircraft <laughs> while we're flying. This is this is pretty wild. So I think that's my most memorable just because of the day that it was on, you know, going back to the ship and having hot dogs after that and talking about um, you know, how cool it was flying the aircraft low and, you know, shooting shooting outside the door. So I think that's that's the coolest one for me. Um, that's I think neat. there have been a lot uh kind of dark and scary nights that I don't think those are my favorite. I think, like looking back, they're like, wow, those are the most challenging. But um, yeah, certainly not my favorite.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I hear that. Uh, is it a rumor that you bring all the uh, covers for the engines of the boats back to the air station?
3: <laughs> not all of them. Not no. all. Of them. <laughs> just just the sentimental one. Yeah. Nice. If they can, if the boat crew can fit it in their, you know, in their small boats when they come back. It's, it is a nice token.
1: That's, that's cool. Yeah. Well, moving on, I'm, I'm curious, especially with, you know, we're, you know, particularly male dominated, um, profession here. Uh, and with going out on these deployments are are you often alone as like the only female in the crew or do you, you get to go out with other women in the ABDET? debt? Uh, how does that usually work out?
3: Well, I guess I could speak to that. So, uh, for us, I think, you know, it's a roll of the dice there, you know, depending on the year you might have. Three female pilots. You might have two. You might have one. Um, out of five of my deployments, I've been deployed twice with another female. So once with a pilot, and then once with a, a female maintainer. So I, I mm-hmm. feel like the chances are you're, you know, you're not probably going to deploy with a female. Um, I feel like that's fine. You know, I, I, back at a SAR unit, I never really realized that I was a female pilot. You know, like yeah. we're all doing the same thing. We get our own rooms when we, you know, stay overnight for duty, but um, as the deployment scheduler at Hitchron, it, it was a little eye-opening because it was kind of the first time that I realized, like, ooh, am I a burden because of my gender? You know, like, it, it, it is the only time or the first time that I realized, like, ooh, hey, I'm a I'm a female going out with a bunch of males to a male-dominated cutter, you know, like a 210 sometimes only has um, male crew members, so right. it, it was a little eye-opening in that sense, um, not in a negative way, more I'm just, like, a okay, they need to make adjustments because I'm coming. And I, I didn't love the way that felt, you know, like I was like, Oh God, I wish I didn't have to kick that ensign out of his room just because I'm a female. But I think everyone, you know, it's not a negative thing. No one's looking at you like, Oh great. They brought a female. Now they have to kick you out of the room, but type of thing. But, um, it, it was enjoyable when I deployed with another female pilot, um, cause we shared a room. So, you know, after flights, you can, you know, kind of debrief extra long in there and you know, you're, you're, Staying with someone that um, you're flying with every day, and, and then with the female mech, we also, you know, shared birthing. So she was new. We, you know, we went over EPs, we went over checklists. Uh, mm. You know, I learned a lot from her, and I, and I hope she learned a lot from me. But you know, the other deployments, I was paired up with a cadet from the academy, and you know, a, a JG that's in the afloat community. So I think that was super valuable. Um, yeah. I've kept in touch with the cadet date and happy to announce that she's going to flight school but you know like it, it i mean it was really cool and i think that's kind of something from someone that went to ocs that didn't go to a cutter uh it's just been awesome to create relationships with people in the coast guard that aren't in aviation because we're you know we're in our own little aviation community and we, we we all kind of think alike and we all kind of have the same ideas but when you're on that cutter you, you just kind of make friendships and become mentors. And, you know, maybe you find a new mentor or someone to keep in touch with. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been kind of cool being the, the odd girl out, I guess, to to have to live with someone else that's not on your crew.
0: Yeah. That's really fascinating. You say that you hadn't even necessarily noticed that was uh like something different until you said you were scheduling and then you're like, Oh, this is like perhaps like a burden yeah. for someone. So I, that probably speaks like pretty yeah, good absolutely. to the way we do business on like a day to day basis. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah. I had the uh, opposite experience. Um, so two deployments, but three cutters I've been on. Because um, my first deployment, we ended up doing a cross deck um, to a different um, cutter and doubling our deployment day. But um, both both those deployments, I was the only female in our ABDE in our uh, aviation detachment, and there was nothing, nothing weird, nothing different. You know, it was just the mission commanders happened to be males and you are the MQ and you happen to be a female. And that was it. Um, the, the first boat I was on the Northland, I was able to room with um, somebody who had actually gone to school with my sister. Um, so nice. that was neat. And same, same as Kelly said, you, you developed a really good friendship and you develop a relationship with uh, the other people on the boat, specifically the females, you know, I, I had my my bag of nail polish. And when they had things that, you know, they wanted to ask about, but didn't necessarily feel comfortable asking somebody in their command, not necessarily for a negative reason, but you know, hey, you're a female that's not that much older than I am. Can I get your advice on this? And say, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we'd Paint our nails because we can do that now in of uh, yeah. color. Oh, play Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or um, or you know, um, on this this last deployment, I was on the on the Seneca. I ended up rooming with the ops boss, who I had known from school. Um, not necessarily friends with her, just different social groups and like knew of one another. And it was a cool experience and very eye opening seeing how the ops boss level works from a completely different standpoint and then from twofold being the person that works with her and how integral our jobs are for each other. Yeah, And like, I, I still keep in contact with her. We're really good friends. Um, that coffee I brought on the cutter, she ended up sending me some of it for Christmas cause she knew I liked it so much. <laughs> um, so you know, that's, that's the cool aspect of it. But in all honesty, the, the more I've been in Coast Guard aviation, um, usually it's, it's not the people in the Coast Guard that seem to make a big deal about women in aviation, specifically women being pilots. It's usually when I'm in an air show or, you know, talking to people outside of the military community. We had mentioned it before that, you know, one of my best friends from Naval Flight School is down uh, in the same area of you guys. And, you know, she's back as an instructor as well. And it, it seems to be that it's becoming maybe not the norm, but, you know, uh, people aren't quite batting eyes anymore. Even with Titron um, is high 40 pilots, low 40 pilots in our wardrobe. Um, and there's only five female pilots here, right. but, you know, we're, we're still integral. We, we still talk to everybody. We have a pretty good rapport. It's just another five pilots that are in the wardroom and that's it. And half of them work
1: for Kelly. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's how it should be too. Um, Yeah. Have either of you had an instance on a deployment where a CEO or ops boss has asked you to launch on something that you were not okay with doing and and, uh, had to tell them no and, you know, what that experience was like?
2: So I've had maybe not necessarily um, ops bosses or CEOs that, you know, were, were pushing for us, it was that question of, Hey, are you guys ready to launch? Do you feel comfortable with it? You guys are the experts. We, we defer to you and we, whatever you're comfortable with, you're the one's fine. Um, so I, I personally have not experienced any of that, uh, that necessary pressure to go by. It's always been a conversation that has been left with us to make the final decision.
0: That's awesome. That sounds like a, a really healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think like, some nice, you know, uh,
3: especially when we've been flying for five hours, you know, like I, I think it's just on the air crew to kind of explain to the cutter command or work on a bag out, you know, like if you, if you have explained all of those terms to them, like it makes a lot more sense when you, when you need to turn down um, the flight that they want you to do, you know, the, I feel like the pressure is kind of there when we have a maintenance issue and. They want the aircraft back up and they're, you know, they're out on the flight deck wondering when it's going to be and, and all that stuff. But, but I, I do think that we're lucky that most cutter commands have been very receptive to the fact that we're the experts and that they put all their trust in us. Like if it's too dark, if the weather's too bad, if you're, you've been flying for too long or the, you know, the aircraft has a malfunction, they know that, um, we're making the, the safe call and that they, they kind of respect what, what our opinion is there.
1: That's awesome to hear. I mean, I feel like the stories that you hear from Hitron a lot are, you know, some of the ones that people have had trouble with with ships. And, and it sounds like those are few and far between, that the uh, relationships pretty strong. And I'm sure that uh, that goes all the way to the top with your skipper and XO kind of liaison with uh, the boat skippers and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I think everyone walking out the door in deployment knows that you know, if they make a call that a Cutter CO doesn't like, like all it takes is a quick email back home and, you know, our CO, Ops, XO, they all have our back. So, um, it's really reassuring to, you know, you feel alone out there, but you're not really if they, you know, they have your back for your decision-making process. Yeah.
0: That's great. Do you guys have any like best aviation advice you've received, uh, or best Coast Guard advice?
2: Ooh, best advice. I think, I think the best, the best that I've received so far um, was actually a Mark Wyckoff (laughs) pearl that he gave me. Um, I'm sure at some point when I was a a young co-pilot in Detroit and, you know, I'm trying to advance through my syllabus. um, But there was, there was something that we, I don't remember what system or anything we were studying, but I, I, I made the comment to him And I said, oh, you know, Mark, like, I'm kind of having trouble remembering whatever it was. And he just kind of looked at me, shrugged his shoulders, and he said, then don't. And, you know, it kind of, it it made me laugh, but, you know, I really thought about it. And so much in the aviation world is just having that self-confidence and that uh, that, um, inner motivation and intrinsic motivation to realize that you know when something is going wrong, or you know you're struggling with something, like it's it's inherent on you, and it's incumbent upon you to kind of dig deep down and say, I'm I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. Um, and you know it's it's I've done it in the cockpit before. You know I've I've been on the river, and maybe my my flying isn't as great as I want it to be. And you know instead of getting frustrated, you just kind of reset. And tell yourself, don't, don't fly this way. You know how to do this. Just, just do what you need to. And then you have that quick five second pep talk with yourself and you're back at it. And it's, it's like a reset button that's hit. Um, so, so that would be my best. It's, it's short and sweet, but it's, it's really stuck with me, um, specifically as I've progressed through my career.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Pretty what good. about, what about you, Kelly? <laughs> you know, what advice would you give to, uh, aspiring uh, women and men trying to get into Coast Guard Aviation.
3: Oh, that's, a, that's a, yeah, that's a great point. I think, yeah, I don't know if I have any little nuggets of <laughs> advice that have really stuck by me. I, I do know, shout out to Commander Finch who trained me as a co-pilot and then trained me newly at Hitron. His, I don't know if everyone thinks it, but <laughs> if it were left up to me, it'd be downright easy. And I love that. Oh yeah. I mean, yep. Oh yeah. Like I feel like I'm easygoing as it is, but just, you know, when it comes to not reinventing the wheel, just not taking things too seriously. Like I just, I love that. But I think, I don't know, my advice for aspiring aviators, um, or, you know, people in their first tour coming up would be, you know, just to reach out to people. I don't think I did that enough as a kind of a new pilot, like find a mentor and it doesn't have to be formal, just kind of you know, network around in your own kind of small, informal way. Um, Rachel and I have both gone to, at least for the for the young female aviators and male aviators, we've both gone to the Women in Aviation Conference um, mm-hmm. multiple times. And uh, even if you don't have an issue or you don't have something that, you know, is challenging for you, just being at that conference and, and listening to other people talk about, you know, their own careers and their, their own experiences has been awesome. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've met friends that you know, I've only known them because of the conference, but like we make plans to see each other. We make plans to, you know, go back to the conference. Uh, so events like that are awesome. And um, you know, if there's not someone you work with that, you know, you're, you're not finding a mentor that you work with, just kind of reach out to a friend and they might know someone that has a personality like you. And yeah, I just, I just think that's so important. Um, I did like a sea cadet panel like this before. And I said, you know, for people that want to be a pilot, but they you know they're not technical they don't have a science degree they don't they don't really think they'd be good at it i'd be like look at me i majored <laughs> in sociology and i have horrible eyesight so you can do it you know like you, you can get that eye surgery and they can teach you how to fly an aircraft and and, and you'll get there so um i like that yeah that's awesome yeah the,
2: the women in aviation conference is where kelly and i first met and now being here at Hitron and having another both friend and mentor, somebody to look up to like an app boss, somebody who's been successful in her aviation career and you you never know who you're going to meet when you just allow yourself the opportunity to um, make those new experiences and let yourself grow.
1: Nice. Um, well, that pretty much wraps up our time for the episode uh, do either of you have any anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to say or uh, shout out any other shout outs you want to give there it's your free freebie. no I
3: think it's so cool that you guys are doing this like my husband and I listen to podcasts all the time so I'm excited to hear the other podcasts you have out there and, and really appreciate you know you letting us kind of talk about Hitron and, and talk about women in aviation it's awesome
2: yeah uh, I know for uh, for Hitron at least that um, it, it seems to be scary because there is a lot of unknown with what we do. Um, you know, not, not everything that we do we can necessarily talk about and be open about. Um, but uh, just like Kelly said, you know, reaching out for the mentors. Um, if, if anybody is looking at their next unit, um, just, just because you don't know what HITRON about doesn't mean uh, that you should, you should ne- feel negative about it. Um, I would encourage you to try and and talk to people, maybe from a previous unit that have reached out or have come to Hitron, and reach out to them. Um, or, you know, mine and Kelly's names are on this and, we're in global. Um, but yeah, the, the unknown is scary and people don't like it, but don't let it totally dissuade you from a pretty unique and demanding job that only really the, the Coast Guard and Hitron can offer you.
0: Yeah, I think Kelly kind of mentioned it earlier. Like, you know, not necessarily being the most pumped about getting the orders, Tetron, but going in with the uh, with the open mind and clearly having uh, some success along the way. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah, absolutely.
0: Rachel, I don't know if your skipper's going to let you leave. You're
1: going to be plugging this place for the rest of your career.
2: it. <laughs> I mean, the new permanent public affairs officer. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
1: Well, uh, th- a big thank you to both of you again for uh, joining us today. Again, folks, uh, talking to Rachel Richtanic. And Kelly McKenzie at uh, Hitron down in Jacksonville, Florida. Good to talk to you.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate it.
4: All right.
1: Enjoy.